Hey everyone, I'm Phil Albertelli, and this, of course, is The Week in Doubt, a podcast for atheists, agnostics, and whoever. And so I know this seems to be becoming a regular thing, but I found some things that needed correcting or clarifying in the last episode. So I went in and edited the original audio and re-uploaded it. So if you want to hear the edited or revised version of the episode entitled Guidestones Destroyed, Charlie Kirk vs. Separation of Church and State, plus more, exclamation mark, you can delete the existing download, that's if you did download it as opposed to simply streaming it, and then stream or download it again, and you should get the revised version. Most of the mistakes were pretty minor. I'll quickly run through them here, too. A couple of times I said Danbury Baptist Church Association instead of simply Danbury Baptist Association. And that was in reference to Thomas Jefferson's famous 1802 letter to the Danbury Baptists. And then I kind of suggested that the group Robert C. Christian, the pseudonym used by the man who commissioned the Georgia Guidestones, that the group he represented may have been Christian, but I don't know that for certain. He claimed to represent, quote-unquote, a small group of loyal Americans who believe in God. Whether or not all of them were specifically Christian or not, I don't know. Maybe they were, maybe they weren't. That's if they even existed at all. But the exorbitant amount of money he poured into the Guidestones must have been coming from somewhere, so maybe they were real. Who exactly his backers were may actually be a good topic for one of my little documentary episodes someday. Uh, But anyway, I also picked up on what I think may have been a typo in one of the only Sky articles I read in, in that episode. In it, Hemant Mehta says, We know there are creationists who believe the Bible is a few thousand years old, while other Christians who would also say the Bible is literally true, except evolution. I think he probably meant who believe the world is only a few thousand years old. And in fairness to Hemet, I say in the revised version that he may have gotten the number of languages on the Guidestones wrong, uh, because there were eight languages on the Guidestones, but I thought he said seven, but he says seven in addition to the original English. But in fairness, I kind of cover my butt in the revised version and say that's what he may have meant. And then there were just a couple of silly things. Um, I kept saying 110%, even though I never say that in my regular day-to-day life. Uh, And I joke in the revised version how I think Lou Ferrigno used to say that on The Celebrity Apprentice. And then I accidentally say pundit instead of pundit. And the strange thing is, I think that's a fairly common mistake, even though uh, I believe pundit isn't even an actual word. And I think it was just one of those weird brain glitch moments, because I know what the right word is. And in fact, when I've used that word in the past, I'm always conscious, don't make that common mistake. And yet I made it anyway. But I think that's it for the mistake. So let's move on to the news story. And so this first one is from Surprise, Surprise, Only Sky. Unintentional rhyme. Technically, I think that's an off rhyme. Anyway, it's entitled, A Satanist got a Kansas school to rethink its anti-Satanism dress code. Mary Turner, a member of the Satanic Temple, urged the Hayes School Board to revise their quote-unquote act of discrimination, 
And this story is dated July 22nd, so only a couple of days old, and it's by, of course, Hemet Mehta. Most school districts have rules about how students' clothing shouldn't be revealing or sex-related or suggestive of quote-unquote gang affiliation. No surprise there. But the dress code for Hayes Middle School in Kansas specifically bans references to quote-unquote Satanism. And so I believe the following excerpt is actually from the school. And so it says dress code. This dress code is intended to promote appearance that refrains from interference with the intended function of the school or school activity or creates potential health and safety hazards. Neatness and cleanness of personal hygiene is encouraged at all times and is the responsibility of every student and parent. And then there's a list of bullet points. For reasons of health and safety, shoes must be worn. That's understandable. Except in those situations where approved by school-sponsored group or activity in advance of an activity, headgear examples, hats, caps, bandanas, sunglasses, <laughs> and bear with me, I know this is probably boring, so why don't I skip down another bullet point? Items of apparel that are considered distracting, unsafe, offensive, revealing, or suggestive, and in parentheses, direct or indirect reference to alcohol, drug, sex, profanity, gang affiliation, Satanism, tobacco, etc. should not be worn. And so it's kind of like, you know, one of these things is not like the other. Satanism is a belief system, and yet they lump it together with things like alcohol, drugs, sex, etc. And then it, uh, the last bullet point is no bare backs or shirts which expose stomachs are permitted. It's like, I mean... I'm not that prudish. I mean, if a kid sees a bare back or midriff, you know, is, are, are the kids going to mount each other in the classroom? <laughs> it's like, come on, man. Similar language is used in the district's middle and elementary school handbooks. The high school doesn't have the same explicit ban. Oh, okay, yeah, we're talking about middle school kids. For some reason, when I was reading the dress code, I was thinking high school kids in my mind. But I could see, yeah, how you might want to be a, a bit more careful with how you allow middle school kids to dress. So I kind of get the bare midriff thing more in, in that case. But it continues, what exactly is the fear regarding Satanism? If the word is meant to be synonymous with evil, it's a huge leap, especially when an argument could be made that Satanists are a religious minority, no different from other ones. And I should probably stop here to make an important point that I've made many other times on the show, and that, you know, when we're talking about Satanism, often we're talking about non-theistic Satanism. Uh, two of the biggies, you know, the late Anton Zandor LaVey's Church of Satan and the Salem-based Satanic Temple, they're both non-theistic um, forms of Satanism, meaning that they don't believe in the literal existence of a supernatural devil. For them, Satan or Lucifer kind of serves as a symbol of rebellion or free thought, uh, that kind of thing. And I've often also made the point that with the Church of Satan, it's more of a kind of darker, kind of social Darwinist uh, might makes right type of philosophy, where the Satanic Temple is more of a secular humanist kind of an organization. But once again, neither one embraces the belief in a literal devil.
And it's funny, I was recently talking about this very topic with uh, the mother of a close female friend. I consider her my friend, too. Um, and she's a really cool lady, and she's spiritual, but she doesn't go in for organized religion. And she tends to gravitate more towards kind of Eastern spirituality, which I think is one of the things we bond over. We both have a appreciation for Buddhism. But she asked me a question that I used to ask when I was a kid. I can remember being probably about middle school age myself. And, you know, while I was hoofing around town with my friends or whatever, I remember bringing up the question at least once. And this was just hypothetically, because even at this point, you know, I was raised Catholic, but I was already starting to have strong doubts. But I said, you know, theoretically, if God and the devil do exist, why would you side with the devil when you know he loses in the end? He's the enemy of God, you know? And she basically asked me the same thing. She brought up the topic of the Satanic Temple because she was talking about how I think the Salem location had been vandalized, I think. And she said, why would anyone choose to worship the devil? And I explained to her basically what I was just saying, that these two organizations, at least the Church of Satan and the Satanic Temple, are non-theistic organizations. They're essentially atheistic organizations, and they embrace Satan as a symbol of uh, rebellion or freedom of thought or free thought, independence, that kind of thing. Uh, they don't literally believe in a devil. And in the case of the Satanic Temple, um, they're an activist organization. Um, and so the whole Satanist thing actually helps their kind of separation of church and state advocacy, that type of thing. Oh, so you're going to, you know, put a Ten Commandments out on government ground? Then you have to let us put a Baphomet statue out there, too. And it really helps to test, uh, you know, the limits of uh, separation of church and state or to help safeguard uh, that, um, that principle. And I think a lot of Christians or just people in general probably aren't even aware of the concept of non-theistic Satanism. And so I can kind of get or even sympathize a little with, uh, you know, how Christians might hear that Satanists are trying to gain a foothold into their children's schools or, you know, are fighting for, to, for parity alongside Christianity because to them, Satanists are people who literally worship the devil, the supernatural enemy of God, you know, and uh, who sacrifice babies and drink blood or whatever, you know. And so I get it how in the context of that worldview, you know, the idea of uh, of your children being exposed to Satanism would really uh, upset and alarm you. But no, most Satanists, especially in these high-profile cases, are non-theistic Satanists. Um, they tend to be secular humanists and social activists. But for the sake of argument, even if someone was a theistic Satanist, they'd still be protected by the establishment and free exercise clauses of the First Amendment. Um, but obviously there's limits like child sacrifice and that kind of thing isn't protected by, you know, um, the right to religious freedom. You can't break the law. But if someone wanted to openly worship the devil and they, they actually literally believed in the devil, I believe that's still protected, you know?
But the story continues on Monday night during a meeting of the Hayes USD 489 Board of Education. Parent Mary Turner, who has three kids in the district, made exactly that point. She's a member of the Satanic Temple, she said, and there shouldn't be any reason for her kids to be punished for wearing clothing promoting their beliefs. And so here's a quote, I raise my children according to the seven tenets of Satanism, and while children of other faiths can wear clothing that declares their family's religion, she said, my family's faith is specifically called out and banned in the school handbook dress code. And it continues, your own non-discrimination policies state that you do not discriminate against students based on religion. Your own mission says every student in every classroom every day, Turner said. I'm not quite sure what that, uh, what that sentiment means. Your own mission says every student in every classroom every day. Maybe that's saying every student needs to be welcomed and present every day, despite, you know, religious differences, etc. Anyway, it continues, the Satanic Temple has been a federally recognized church for many years, Turner said. Banning satanic students, that sounds funny, satanic students, from wearing clothing that declares their faith, while allowing students of all other faiths to wear similar clothing is an act of discrimination, she said. And I agree, not 110%, but 100%. That'll do. I am here to ask that the school board remove Satanism from their dress code policy, and they no longer blacklist my family's faith and the faith of other families here in Hayes as distracting, unsafe, or offensive, Turner said. Later in the meeting, the board discussed the issue, and it became clear some of the members just hadn't considered the implications of that statement. And here's kind of a nice and thoughtful quote from one of the members. It is interesting on the previous page, we have a non-discrimination statement, board member Megan Zimpieri Lilpop said. We have it up on our wall that we value diversity and we value inclusion, and then we specifically say the name of one religion in the no list. I would challenge someone to put their own religion in that space and see how it feels, she said. Very thoughtful, I think. That's pretty nice. Another board member suggested a simpler statement that focused on quote-unquote disruptive clothing rather than listing out specific examples. The end result of their discussion, the board agreed to have the administration rework the dress code. A modified version will be discussed at an upcoming retreat in two weeks, just before the start of the new school year. Which means a Satanist spoke out against religious discrimination that almost certainly existed due to pro-Christian bias. Then within a matter of hours, the change she sought was put into action. It's exactly how these board meetings ought to work, and yet it feels like a major victory. It's not the first time something like this has happened either. Last October, the Rose Tree Media School District in Pennsylvania made a very similar change to a dress code that banned anything quote-unquote satanic in nature. That only happened because a local Satanist urged the school board to make that change. A lot of citizens were furious, thinking the change was akin to allowing Nazi symbols on kids' shirts. But their ignorance was no excuse for the board to continue a misguided policy. And now kids will be able to wear Satanic clothing in Hayes, Kansas as well. So a story with a happy ending in a sense. Uh, we don't always get those on the show. 
But um, yeah, even if you're someone, you know, if Satanism doesn't sit well with you, uh, it's still a win for, you know, freedom of religion, I think. But on to the next story, and hopefully I won't spend as much time on this one. And uh, this will mostly be an audio clip, but I'm going to read a bit from an Only Sky article just to set it up. So it's entitled, The Watchman Decree is a Scary Vision of Christian Nationalism in Action. So this is kind of continuing with that weeks-long theme now of, um, you know, the creeping threat to the separation of church and state. And it, no, it doesn't have anything to do with the, uh, the graphic novel or TV series, uh, The Watchman or whatever. Um, but in speaking of that, you know who's a really interesting guy? This is a total digression. But the creator of The Watchmen is a uh, comic book. Is he? I'm trying to think if he's a writer or an artist. I'm, I'm not sure. But his name is Alan Moore. And you can find uh, videos of him on YouTube. Really interesting guy. Like, you guys know me. I don't believe in the supernatural, but I'm still fascinated by the occult and kind of spooky stuff, etc. And he's a guy that believes in kind of like cer ceremonial magic, cha chaos magic, I think, that kind of thing. And uh, it's just kind of really interesting to listen to him talk about whether he's talking about the comic books he's worked on, you know, where his stories come from, or listening to him talk about his take on magic. Uh, just a really wild guy. Yeah, um, Alan Moore, I believe it is. And I think he actually uh, hooked up with Whoopi Goldberg back in the day. <laughs> really interesting. And I just looked it up. Yeah, so Alan Moore was born in Northampton, England in 1953. And he's not a comic book artist. Yeah, he is primarily a, a writer or author, comic book writer. Um, he's known for Watchmen, V for Vendetta, uh, The Ballad of Halo Jones, Swamp Thing, Batman, The Killing Joke, and From Hell. And I remember they did a movie adaptation of From Hell starring uh, Johnny Depp. But back to the article. So once again, the title is The Watchman Decree is a Scary Vision of Christian Nationalism in Action. The theocratic declaration is a threat to everyone who's not a conservative Christian. And of course, it's by Hemet Mehta and it's dated uh, July 15th. What does a Christian nationalist induction ceremony look like? You'd get a pretty good idea by watching a clip highlighting the Watchman Decree from a recent Flashpoint live event in Georgia. On July 1st, a slew of conservative Christians, including conspiracy theorist Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene and anti-abortion zealot Abby Johnson, gathered to do far more than pray. During the event, host Gene Bailey urged the Christian audience and everyone watching the live stream to join together and recite what he called the Watchman Decree. Watchmen in this case refer to people who pledge to watch over the nation and make sure it's run according to conservative Christian principles. Writer and activist Nick Knudsen shared the clip that went viral. And so the clip is about four minutes long. I'm not going to subject you to the whole thing. So I'm just going to play the first couple of minutes. All right, go ahead. All right, Dutch, lead us. So we'll read it together, okay? As a patriot of faith, I attest my allegiance first and foremost to the kingdom of God and the Great Commission. Secondly, 
I agree to be a watchman over our nation concerning its people and their rights for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Whereas we, the church, are God's governing body on the earth, whereas we have been given legal power from heaven and now exercise our authority, whereas we are God's ambassadors and spokespeople over the earth, whereas through the power of God, we are the world influencers, whereas because of our covenant with God, we are equipped and delegated by Him to destroy every attempted advance of the enemy. We make our declarations. We decree that America's executive branch of government will honor God and defend the Constitution. We decree that our legislative branch, Congress, will write only laws that are righteous and constitutional. We decree that our judicial system will issue rulings that are biblical and constitutional. We declare that we stand against wokeness, the occult, and every evil attempt against our nation. And so I thought there was just something kind of scary or aggressive about the delivery. But if you listen to what they're actually saying, it doesn't really start to get scary until they're talking about mixing religion in with the different branches of government. Although these kind of bold claims about how they're the ambassadors of God on earth, I mean, what does that mean? Do they think they get some kind of special authority over others? because of that, you know, and plan on taking things into their own hands or whatever. Um, and then <laughs> what they say at the end, we stand against wokeness and the occult. After I was just talking about Alan Moore and magic too. Uh, and you guys know me once again, don't believe in the supernatural, skeptic. But since a young age, I've been really interested in things like uh, topics having to do with the paranormal, the supernatural, uh, demonology, etc., so I have a really deep interest in the occult, um, and I do think symbolically there are certain aspects of the occult that can be powerful and transformational. Uh, it would take a long time to get into it, but I think it's similar to finding power in religious symbolism or Jungian archetypes. I uh, don't really believe there's anything supernatural going on, but these symbols can be used for transformational purposes, etc. So don't wage war on the occult. I need that weird stuff around to keep things interesting. And then, uh, and then wokeness, just a bunch of old gray haired guys chanting the word woke. Whenever I hear someone over a certain age say woke, you know, it's, it comes off as cringy. And that's not me trying to be mean or ageist. Uh, we all age. We're all getting older. I'm definitely getting older. Uh, I just mean it'd be like back in the 80s if you saw your grandfather wearing parachute pants or something, you know. There's just something cringy about an older person trying to adopt something from a younger generation. And I'm not talking about adopting new technological advancements or something like that. I'm talking about the lingo, you know. Uh, I mean, I have friends who are in like their late 30s and their 40s. And when they, 
you know, would talk about things being fire or, or, or say things like chef's kiss and do the little Italian hand thing, I'm like, a part of me dies. Oh, and then quickly, I nabbed this clip off of Twitter, and it's of someone who's running for Congress by the name of uh, Cece Truman, and she had this to say. Now, you don't have to agree with me or with what the Bible has set up as a standard. God made Adam and Eve, not Adam and Eve, 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 or Adam and Steve, or two women. No, God made a man and a woman. Uh, for marriage. Now, what you do in your privacy, that's between you and the creator. Uh, as far as codifying something uh, like this into law, I am not in agreement. When I am voted into Congress, I will never be voting for same-sex marriage for these reasons, because I hold to biblical, true conservative values, and I will not stray from that. Um, so anyhow, you have my word on that. I hope you guys are all having a good day. God bless you all. Until next time. And so this is a situation where you kind of need to see the video in order to really get the irony. And in fairness, just want to give credit where credit is due. Dusty Smith covered the same video on one of his recent live streams, and he made the same point that had occurred to me. This woman, I'm not trying to be mean, she's obviously had a lot of work done, uh, at least has had a lot of like fillers and injections, gigantic lips, etc., you know, and there's nothing wrong with people getting plastic surgery and, and that kind of thing, but it's like she's talking about how she's not for gay marriage because she believes in God's natural order and that kind of thing. It's like, so God gave you a face and you completely altered and defiled God's original plan for your face by injecting it with all sorts of crap and having someone take a knife to it. It reminds me, I think one time I was watching, was it Hamlet? Mel Gibson did a... Uh, did a movie uh, adaptation of Hamlet, I think it was, when he was much younger. And there was a line in there, something about God gives you a face and you make or paint for yourself another. And not that I care what anyone does with their face when it comes to makeup or plastic surgery. But if you're going to say you value the natural, uh, God's natural order and his creation as is, and then you do everything under the sun to change the look of the face he gave you. And I actually found the quote. Yeah, it's uh, Hamlet to Ophelia. And he says, God have given you one face and you make for yourselves another. And of course, in context, it's supposed to be the character leveling a criticism at women for using makeup to enhance their beauty or looks. Not a sentiment or criticism I personally share. Uh, I have no problem with what people do with their faces. <laughs> um, and on this show, I've you know, criticize Jordan Peterson for his comments about how maybe women shouldn't wear makeup in the workplace, etc. But I thought it was kind of fitting for someone who claims, you know, they don't like gay marriage because they're all about keeping things the way God designed or intended them. And then they have their lips, you know, inflated like a car tire or whatever. Yahweh's original handiwork, not up to snuff, perhaps. Uh, but joking aside, I don't know if this really is a result of, uh, of you know, the overturning of Roe versus Wade and how some have said this is going to embolden right-wing Christian types to try to claw back even more, like taking away gay marriage. Um, but yeah, this is scary stuff. It's like, come on, it's 
2022. Uh, we've been there, done that. Gay marriage is a thing now. Let, you know, let's not backslide into the dark ages. But she's saying she wouldn't want to, you know, vote to codify gay marriage or anything like that. So bigoted freakazoid. Uh, man, am I, <laughs> I'm being very insulting in this episode. What are you going to do? But speaking of homophobia, um, there's this hate preacher and this guy puts the hate back in hate preacher. This, this guy is extreme. And his target is actually Hemant Maida. And the hate preacher's name is Aaron Thompson, I believe. And so I guess he hasn't taken kindly to the way Hemant's kind of criticized him for his hate speech, his bigotry, and the way Hemet has exposed him on social media by playing clips of him, etc. So he accuses Hemet of being in the closet, and the clip I'm about to play is peppered with all sorts of homophobic slurs, and there's lots of uh, bleeping and censoring, but here it is. So I wanted to talk about this Hemet Meta. I don't know if I pronounce his name right, but I don't really care. To me, he's major beta. And I, and, I, and I have some things to say about him. I, I also suspect that he might be a closet f***. Yeah. He definitely talks like one. He definitely likes to defend f***s. Yeah. Like every clip that he puts on there pretty much is about us ripping on homos during yeah. Pride Month. I like the clips. I think they're great. But they're also causing a lot of persecution. Like, he calls himself friendly, but then he knows that when he posts this stuff, that people are going to get upset because the way he words it. You know, we'll get up and we'll caveat what we're preaching and say, hey, you know, the government should do this after a fair trial and then take him out in the back and shoot him in the back of the head. They, but they don't concentrate on the whole quote. They concentrate on the part that they want you to be mad about. I mean, I'll admit it, it might sound bad. We're not cult leaders. We're preaching the Bible. You know, and here's the thing. He calls himself the friendly atheist, and he wants us banned off all these platforms. Well, here's what I would say. This guy, this guy actually is the hate preacher. So this guy, you know, I, I suspect he's a fag. I can't 100% say for sure he is. But you know what? If it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, and it's constantly defending fags all the time, I think it's possible that he is. I'm not saying for, I mean, he's definitely got some soy in the tank. You know, he, he claims to have been the one that got Pastor Anderson's YouTube page permanently, got him banned permanently on YouTube. Well, you know what? Great job, man. We're going to get the rewards from the persecution that we get from it. And you know what? He's just going to get deeper and deeper into hell. So it's a win-win, really. First of all, I have no idea if Hemet Maida is gay, and who cares if he is? What does that matter? You know, obviously it matters to them because they're homophobes. Um, and then he says, well, Hemet Maida is probably gay because he defends gay people. And I'm about as straight as you can get, and I don't necessarily mean like personality or interest, like I don't give a crap about sports, etc., but I'm speaking sexually. I've known from a very young age that I was into women, um, and I'm not saying that as some kind of cover or something. I'm very pro-LGBTQ rights, so if I was gay, I would come out and tell you. But my point is, I I'm someone who's 
I don't even know how to put it. I was going to say exceedingly straight. Um, as straight as, once again, as straight as you can get. Always known I was into women. And I defend LGBT people all the time just because I think it's the right thing to do. And they deserve to be treated fairly and humanely and shouldn't be persecuted for wanting to have an adult relationship with someone of the same sex. And then it was very kind of ironic or hypocritical when he's talking about how Hemet exposing his persecution of gay people is causing him to be persecuted, <laughs> you know? And then uh, he tries to make the uh, nuanced distinction that he's not saying that you know, he's going to go out and kill people. He's saying he wants, you know, the government to kill the gay people and they should have a trial first or whatever. And then he accuses Hemet of having soy in his tank. And I know this is being way too literal, but I was thinking, you know, ironically, uh, soy is usually put into like processed food products and stuff. Hemet looks like he actually watches what he eats. And this guy, this hate preacher, looks like he's about 300. He looks morbidly obese. So ironically, if anyone has a bunch of soy in them, it's probably that guy. I don't know about soy, but I'm definitely full of piss and vinegar this episode. <laughs> Piss. That's the closest I came to swearing this episode. Apologies if that offends anyone. Uh, pardon my language. But anyway, with that, I'll call this episode a wrap. As always, thanks for listening, everyone. You guys know the drill. You can like the Facebook page. You can follow the show on Twitter, even though I'm not on there much. You can check out the YouTube channel. Maybe you're doing that now. If you'd like to help the show out monetarily, you can go to patreon.com slash theweekendout and help support what I do here for as little as 99 cents a month. All right, brothers and sisters, until next time. <laughs>